Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back here in the chapel. See so many old faces. I'll rephrase that, familiar faces. Uh, and lots of new people as well. It's a great privilege to be here. And I especially want to thank you on behalf of the Trust for focusing on our work today and for your ongoing prayers in our prayer diary and for your gifts. It really makes a big difference. And it's good to know that people are praying for us and supporting us. So thank you very much. Uh, you may not be surprised that with a trust named 2 Timothy 4, I want to focus on the place in the Bible from which the trust derived its name. However, I'm aware that some of you have heard me speak on this subject in the past, and you may think that a subject such as preaching God's Word in a church like Charlotte Chapel with our history goes without saying. And you're right. However, things that go without saying are sooner or later not said. And things that are not said are sooner or later forgotten. So I hope it will bear repetition. And with that in mind, let me try and set the scene for this last letter that we have that the Apostle Paul wrote for 2 Timothy. Let me set the scene, and there's one or two, hopefully, pictures and things will come on the screen to help those who uh, like visual support. The place is a dungeon deep in the bowels of the infamous Mamertine prison in the great city of Rome. Andy, have we got the PowerPoint? Thank you very much. There's a picture of the excavated ruins. The date. The date is around the 12th year of the reign of Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, or as he's better known to most people, the Emperor Nero. That's by our later dating system around 67 AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. If you'd suggested to anyone then that the Lord in question was a Jew born in poverty in a small and obscure province of the Roman Empire, and that one day the world's dating system would be based on his birth, you would have thought you were out of your mind. Especially as the person in question was executed by the Romans outside the city of Jerusalem by that most barbaric means reserved for the most common of criminals by crucifixion. Despite this, the story perpetrated by the followers of this man, Jesus by name, that he had risen bodily from the dead and was none other than the Lord, God's Son come to earth, began to spread. The story took hold and the followers of the way, as they were nicknamed, began to multiply at an amazing rate throughout the Roman Empire, from its beginnings in Jerusalem right through the Mediterranean world, eventually reaching to the great city of Rome itself. But now to return to our date, some 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, many of his first followers were dead. A good number martyred for their faith. And following a devastating fire which consumed a large part of the city of Rome in 64 AD, the increasingly paranoid Emperor Nero, who probably started the fire himself, picked on the Christians, as they were nicknamed, as scapegoats. Thousands were rounded up. 
The fortunate ones were killed on the spot. The less fortunate ones were torn to pieces by animals in the arena or tied to pillars, daubed with tar and set on fire to illuminate the emperor's garden parties. And among those rounded up and brought to Rome in chains some two years later was the man most responsible for propagating the worship of Jesus, a former member of that most orthodox of religious groups, a Jew named Saul, or to give him his Greek name by which is better known, Paul. Now he's in his mid-sixties, prematurely aged by 25 years of incredible hardship. He sits in that dungeon in the Mamertine prison, chained to a guard. As a Roman citizen, he has the right of appeal before the Emperor Nero. But he knows the verdict is already decided. He will be found guilty. Within weeks, if not days, he'll be taken outside the city and another privilege of being a Roman citizen, he'll be beheaded. And so from his prison cell, he writes a last letter to a dear young colleague, protege Timothy by name. It's a kind of last will and testament from prison. And as he draws his letter to a close... He gives his final instructions to Timothy in words drawn from the law courts. He says to Timothy, I give you this solemn charge. So what is his charge to Timothy? Is it to give up? Is it to lie low until the heat maybe dies down? Not at all. Let's read and find out. So let's turn to our reading. Here are these last words, moving words written by the Apostle Paul, preserved in God's providence for us today. 2 Timothy 4, we're going to read the first eight verses. And if you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1197. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, do all the duties, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word. Let's just pray for a moment. That's good to help us understand it. Gracious Father, thank you that these last words of the Apostle Paul, moving words from a prison cell, have been preserved for our learning and for our instruction and to challenge us today in our generation. So we pray you'll speak to us. And that we will hear and respond. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is Paul's solemn charge to Timothy? 
we can summarize it in three words in the English translation and for those who are interested in these things it's three words in the original Greek language in which it was written quite simply he says preach the word now to many people today the word preach conveys an image of some dry and dusty eulogy delivered from a high pulpit within the walls of an ancient building but that is not what the word used here means it's the word used and it's an interesting Greek word it's a word used of blowing a trumpet it's a word used of proclaiming it's a word used of a herald walking down the streets of a city and announcing in a loud voice a message from the king what he says is not his own opinion but that of the highest authority in the land it is not a party political broadcast that will be followed by someone else saying something different it is the word now of course Paul is not talking here about a message from a human king but from the one who is king of kings God himself this God he's just reminded Timothy if your Bible is still open at 2 Timothy 4 just previous to that he's reminded Timothy that this God has spoken through the Holy Scriptures which he says are breathed out by God and he's spoken finally and fully through his son Jesus who is the word and the word from the word is good news or again to use the Bible word it is the gospel for all people so that gospel that good news must be preached heralded to the world this has been the life and calling of Paul himself again if you've got your Bible open there if you just turn back to the opening of um, of the letter in verse 11 of chapter 1 he says and of this gospel I was appointed a herald the word herald there is the noun from the verb to preach of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher but Paul's heralding days are almost over his duties are almost finished and so he writes knowing this to Timothy and says preach the word and I simply want to say to you very simply looking at the passage back in front of us now chapter 4 verses 1 to 8 there are three reasons he gives here three future events which should motivate Timothy to preach the word and the word these three things are future events that should motivate us today if we are followers of Jesus Christ and particularly if we're involved in any kind of proclamation ministry so here's the first future event he says preach the word because Christ Jesus is coming preach the word because Christ Jesus is coming look at the opening words in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom I give you this charge preach the word Timothy says you're to preach the word because a future event is coming he describes it as the appearing of Christ Jesus now I keep talking about all the words one thing to try to do with preachers is get them to look at what the words actually mean and the word appearing here is an interesting word it's been transferred into the English language uh, if you went to grammar school you've probably heard of it maybe you have I don't know but the actual word the Greek word is epiphany it's a, it's a Christian season now but the word epiphany which is used here is the revelation of the presence and glory of an important person it was used in the first century of Roman emperors if a Roman emperor was coming to your city or your town they would say the emperor's coming and you need to be out in the streets ready for his epiphany they of course being rather pretentious like to think of themselves as gods so it was a very appropriate word for them uh, but the epiphany mentioned here in verse 1 and again in verse 8 is the epiphany 
Paul says it's going to be the final revelation of the glory of God seen in Jesus Christ and every person who has lived and is living at that time will see it every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord his kingdom will come to earth as it is already in heaven so in view of this fact Paul tells Timothy and us preach the word in view of the epiphany of Christ Jesus who is the king and the word that we're to preach the word from King Jesus which the herald is to shout out in the streets it calls on people to lay down their arms and accept his gracious peace terms in another of his letters Paul compares this to the work not of just of a herald but of an ambassador here's what he says 2 Corinthians 5 it's on the screen we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God God has made it possible for people to be reconciled to him to be brought back into a living relationship with him but on our part we need to lay down our arms to accept his gracious peace terms that is the herald's message and he says do it because of the epiphany the glorious appearing of Christ Jesus who is not only the king he will be the judge you see that who will judge the living and the dead in that same letter, in fact, the same chapter in that letter that I've just read from Second Corinthians, Paul writes again, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Now that is a powerful motivation. And especially for every church. We will stand before Jesus the King and church. And he will ask, did you fulfill the commission I gave you? Did you preach the word? To every preacher, for every pastor, to Shane in his Light and Life church. To the guys in every church in this city, he will ask, did you preach the word? Did you tell people, be reconciled to God? When I first came to Charlotte Chapel, it's a long time ago now, in 1992, when I looked a lot younger and I had a moustache and other things, um, I was kindly invited for lunch uh, by one of another city centre minister here in Edinburgh. Very kindly, very nice lunch. We met in a cafe located in his strategically placed church. And afterwards he showed me around the facility. And he said, and I still recall his words, he said... You may know that this church was once a famous pulpit. And I said, yes, I did know it was. hundred years ago, people queued around the block to get in it, to fill this church. And he said, and I remember his words, I'm almost quoting, not, not literally, but in my head, he said, but I remember the phrase, he said, well, we today, we're not into preaching. We want to be a city center community that serves the community. We want to serve the local community. And that church was St. George's West, which, as you will know, following its closure, is to be the new home, Charlotte Chapel. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not against serving the local community. I think we should do all we can to be a beacon in this needy city. But not instead of our greatest priority, which is to preach the word. So, first reason, preach the word. 
because Christ Jesus is coming. Secondly, it's here in the text, he goes on to say, preach the word because difficult days are coming. You see that? Back in the text. Notice the word for in verse 3. Preach the word for the time will come. And the Bible speaks today commentary on Second Timothy. It's probably the best, simplest commentary. It's worth reading if you're interested in these things. Uh, John Stott writes, Paul is giving a second basis on which to ground his charge. It is another future event, not now the coming of Christ, but before that end point, the coming of dark and difficult days. Now, again, if you've got your Bible open, we, we keep, you come back to the Bible. This is what the preaching from is God's word. If you look at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul has already told Timothy, he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, in the Bible, the last days don't mean just the days before Christ immediately returns. The last days are the days between the ascension of Christ into heaven and his return one day in glory. That period is called the last days. And Paul is saying, in this period, things are only going to get more and more difficult. And if you look at chapter 3, he describes the character that you'll see of people. We don't have time to look at it. You can do it when you go home. Um, he describes the character of people at this time. But when he comes to chapter 4, he's focusing on preaching the word. And so he's talking about the last days and responding to that word. How do people respond to it? And he says, people, when you preach this word to people, they will reject it. Even though it's sound, he says, sound doctrine means healthy, life-giving, they will reject it in favor of things they want to hear. And the key to this problem lies in the faculty of hearing. He says, people have difficulty in hearing. I've had a good week this week and a bad week. I have problems with my ears. They get bunged up with wax. And it kind of builds up eventually. I start putting drops in. But my friend Stephen Fairfield at House of Hearing, he's got like a... It used to be a big one, but they've got these little bicycle pumps, you know. That, and you put these drops in, you go in. And I went in on Friday, and I tell you, it was just glorious. I hold this thing on my ear, and, and suddenly I could hear clearly again. It was really great. Now, here he says the people's problem is a similar problem, but he describes it. He says they've got itching ears, and they will turn away from the truth. Negatively, he says people shut their ears to the truth. I kind of wonder if Paul is thinking about his own experience here. If you know the Bible, where we first meet Paul, or Saul as he's called, is in the book of Acts, chapter 7. And Stephen, the great preacher of the gospel, is preaching this fantastic sermon. It takes up a whole chapter in Acts, chapter 7. And at the end, his Jewish listeners, the Jewish religious leaders, are so angry with what he's saying, it says, they shut their ears and picked up bricks and stoned him to death. It's this first mention of Saul, it says, and Saul was there, guarding their coats. He knows what it is to shut his ears to the truth. However, ears are made for hearing, and human beings are rational beings whose minds need to be stimulated and filled. So notice, when people turn away from the truth, what does he say? They turn aside to myths. To stories with no historical foundation, a fanciful human invention. G.K. Chesterton, that larger-than-life writer and Christian apologist. Here's how G.K. Testament put it. It's very well put, I think. He said this. He said, When people stop believing in God, it is no longer 
it is not that they no longer believe in anything but rather they believe in everything Very interesting isn't it and there are always people around to satisfy their itching ears or try to myth makers who say what their itching ears want to hear but unfortunately they're never satisfied there are always new and novel ideas coming out as Paul puts it earlier in chapter 3 again in verse 7 he said they're always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth now Paul envisages and says this is going to happen Timothy preach the word because people don't want to hear strange thing isn't it you almost think if they don't want to hear don't tell them but no he says preach the word and I don't need to give you examples of this kind of thing from our society of what people believe today but sadly I don't need to give you examples from within the church itself of people coming out with novel things and saying things that people want to hear in fact I would say this if you are an orthodox Christian who believes the Bible there is no way you could really get a hearing in the media today whatever your views are on marriage on the uniqueness of Christ on the Bible almost on every issue society today doesn't want to hear that sadly so what should you do what's your response what is the response to the problem well look what Paul says uh, two things that kind of frame this preach the word he says first of all keep going at all times he says be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction Paul tells Timothy there is no closed season for preaching the gospel there might be a closed season for shooting grouse in Scotland but there is no closed season for preaching the gospel the word be prepared is probably a military term that refers to a soldier who is always on active duty it's not his own convenience again 2 Timothy 2 verse 4 he says he wants to please his commanding officer it may also mean that there are no particular places or situations that are excluded from preaching the gospel it doesn't just mean preach the gospel every Sunday when you're standing in this pulpit in Charlotte Chapel it means proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever you are Peter puts it always be prepared to give to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have within you but do it with gentleness and respect irregular times unusual places opportunities to speak in conversation with someone and notice we don't have time to look at it look what he says our message must address the mind correct must address the will rebuke people to change their minds and the emotions to encourage people notice again that Paul has just said that the Holy Scriptures do exactly those things but God uses a human voice to convey the message unless we should think we can barge in with insensitivity or take it or leave it Paul says with great patience and careful instruction it may take months or years Paul is writing to Timothy who is now a pastor in the church in Ephesus Paul spent three years there daily discussing the scriptures and teaching the Christian faith you can read that in Acts 19 and 20 so don't give up when people don't want to hear the truth keep going at all times and then he says keep calm in all situations but you keep your head in all situations endure hardship do the work of an evangelist discharge all the your ministry the word keep calm literally means stay sober don't become intoxicated with every novelty that comes along I've been involved in pastoral work and Christian work for 50 years now and almost every few years some novel teaching comes out some novel idea and Christians rush to embrace it 
and, and, and I look back over the years and think, where are those things now? They're nowhere. And there's one, one speaker I heard one time said, if you're a pastor, be careful not to jump after everything. Otherwise, your people will get spiritual whiplash. That's a, that's a good expression, isn't it? You get spiritual whiplash. Now, such a stand, he says to Timothy, will not be popular. It will involve hardship, which must be endured. However, it's not enough just to react to that. You need to be proactive to do the work of an evangelist. He's not maybe talking about a particular gift of an evangelist here, but another way of saying keep on preaching the word. And he says, do all the duties of your ministry, discharge them all, pastor, teacher, evangelist, evangelist, ministry of Christ. Now, that same charge to us today and the environment in which we live is totally relevant. That's why the trust that I run to Timothy 4 and there are many other people who do this work. I'm grateful to them. Um, we run workshops on different aspects of preaching. Um, it's an interesting experience for me. After preaching every week, and if you, ne- if you can't sleep any time, there are 850 of my sermons listed on the chapel website. Can you believe that? No, no, no you can't. No, don't, don't go there. Uh, but what's been interesting is doing exactly the opposite, not preaching, but listening. I've listened to probably several hundred sermons from a great variety of preachers over the past four or five years, ranging from people who are beginning to preach, folk who've got more experience, like Shane's been preaching 12 years. I work with one pastor who's been preaching 25 years and says, I'd like to be a better preacher. Our premise is that every preacher, I always tell myself, every preacher can become a better preacher, especially me, and you won't need to me to tell you that after this morning. All right? That's why I'm, in, I'm delighted to be involved in teaching at Faith Mission. I teach at the Free Church College, which is a great experience. We've got about a dozen students who are training for ministry. Uh, I love teaching at ICC in Glas- International Christian College in Glasgow with Derek Newton, who ran the course there, the only postgraduate course in biblical preaching in Scotland, which sadly was deemed past its sell-by date and closed. That's why I, I'm glad to accept any invitation uh, a couple of years ago, the Church of Scotland in 121, they asked me to go to St. Andrews. They had a weekend away for all their new candidates, all their auxiliaries, 65 people, training for ministry. And they said, can you come? We'll give you six hours the whole of Sunday to teach preaching. Wow, what an opportunity. Especially if you train for the ministries, a Church of Scotland minister at New College, then homiletics, teaching preaching with an excellent teacher, is an optional subject have said we need to preach because we live in dark and difficult times preachers and preaching are under pressure and devalued so preach the gospel first reason hope you're still with me here preach the gospel because christ jesus is coming preach the gospel because difficult days are coming thirdly and finally and absolutely obviously and i'm not going to spend a long time on it because you're already looking at your clocks because we're going to talk about it this evening but preach the word thirdly and finally because paul's departure is coming he says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. The ambassador is about to be recalled to the court of heaven. Paul says he's literally using a picture from the Old Testament when people brought thank offerings, they poured out water. He said, I'm laying down my life as a drink offering. And then he says this lovely phrase, he says, the time has come for my departure. The literal meaning of the word departure, again, it's wonderful to look at these words and see what he's actually saying. The word for departure here is the word to loosen something. 
It's used in different contexts in the first century. Here's some picture of it. This will remind you of it, all right? First of all, it's the word used of loosening a yoke after oxen have been working in the field all day. And you bring them back to the barn and you loosen the yoke and they're free to wander around after a hard day's labor. Paul's labors are almost over. It's the word also used of loosening the guy ropes on a tent before you set out on another journey. And Paul, that's very interesting, Paul is a tent maker. Shane has it, didn't tell you. Shane has it, all the light and life pastors have a, have a day job or a night job. You know what he said, a day or a night job. Shane is a roofer, if you need your roof doing it. The plug here to repay you for doing this this morning. Uh, Paul was a tent maker. And he's packing up his tent for the last time. And as he writes to the Christians in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, I'm looking forward to getting rid of this tent, this body that's worn out. I'm looking forward to getting a permanent building. Listen, the older you get, the more you look forward to it. It's also the word used of untying the mooring ropes of a ship before it sets out on a journey. And Paul has been on countless sea voyages. You know when the captain says, loosen the guy ropes, the mooring ropes, and off you go sailing. He's about to set off on the last journey towards heaven. And finally, it's the word used of a prisoner being loosened from his chains. And Paul is about to be loosened from these shackles that bind his hands and feet. And he's going to be free. He's fought the good fight. He's kept the course. Finished the course. Kept the faith. Verdict of Caesar may be death. But the verdict from the higher court and the supreme authority will be not guilty. And here are his future prospects. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So I would be remiss. I'm talking about preaching the gospel. But let me preach the gospel to you because I don't know all of you. There's a lot of new people here. And I simply ask you a question. Are you ready to depart? If the call came today, would you be ready? Paul is ready. He's come to the end of the journey. Sometimes we don't know when we'll get called. Home. Think of one of our old missionaries who's with the Lord now, Jesse McNaughton. Took a funeral in some years ago. Visiting a nursing home, and she said to me, interesting, she said, I'm here in this nursing home, and she said, I feel like those people in the departure lounge at the airport waiting for my flight number to be called. He's ready to depart. Are you ready to depart? Are you longing for his appearing? Are you reconciled to God? This is the gospel that we preach. But back to our main subject. Well, that's the main subject. Don't misunderstand. But back to our topic today. Paul has his final priority to pass on the baton to Timothy to preach the word that's the third reason why we must preach the gospel the third event we preach the gospel because Christ Jesus is coming difficult days are coming and Paul's departure is coming and every generation as one generation goes we pass on the baton to the next generation we'll focus on that this evening if you can make it thinking about that this evening our focus but let me say something in conclusion I began 30 minutes ago 25 minutes ago setting the scene Paul in prison before the Emperor Nero awaiting execution so let me ask you what happened next because the Bible doesn't tell us what happened next we can be almost certain about what happened to Paul from 
other histories outside the Bible. Soon after he wrote this letter to Timothy, within probably days, weeks, certainly a month or two, he appeared before the Emperor Nero, was found guilty, and he was taken. There's a spot outside the city of Rome on the Ostian Way that's a designated spot like toll crosses in Edinburgh, a spot where people had their heads chopped off. And his head was chopped off. He was beheaded. We can be absolutely certain about what happened to Nero, the emperor. For a year or so later, when the tide of public opinion turned against him, he took his own life in ignominious circumstances. But you know, what would surprise anyone who lived in the first century is their respective reputations in the 21st century. Nero was a prolific writer. Not one single item of his literary output has survived anywhere. Paul, this prisoner in jail, the letters that he wrote, including this one, have not only survived, but have been read and studied by millions and translated into over 2,000 different languages. Indeed, as one Baptist scholar put it at the beginning of the 20th century, it's a lovely quote this, he said, indeed, he says, the time has come when people call their dogs Nero and their sons Paul. But you know, what would also surprise anyone who lived in the first century is that the message of Jesus survived and flourished and spread so that today the world's dating system is based on his birth and he is worshipped by countless millions throughout the world in every nation on earth and the reason because he sent letters people like Timothy got the message preached the word took up the challenge and there are many interesting parallels between the state of the church in the f end of the first century and the state of the church in the West at the beginning of the 21st century. don't have time to talk about it, but you can think about it. And especially that of the church, not least the pessimistic predictions about the survival of the church in our nation and in Europe in particular. But the key to the survival of the church in our nation and the challenge for our generation and for this church is to take up the challenge in our generation and to preach the word. Let's pray together.